Tonight I'd like to talk about the quality of patience. It's the tenth of the paramis that we're uh, practicing here this week. And it's the tenth, but it's the last but not the least of the paramis. Because this particular one is a huge support in our practice on the cushion and our practice out in the world. It allows all of the other paramis, all of the other qualities of mind and heart that allow us to awaken in this life, to ripen. And so it's, uh, I would say it's one of the most, if not the most important of all the paramis, and that's why we like to talk about it first. It also allows the coming closer of mindfulness, of awareness, to the difficulties that arise, the challenges. Steve spoke this afternoon about the five hindrances or the defilements, attachment, aversion, sloth and torpor, restlessness, and doubt. And so with patience, we are able to come closer. We're able to withstand. We're able to have much more tolerance. We're able to open to these uh, challenges that arise in our practice, these visitors to the mind. It allows us to accept what's happening in terms of the challenges without, uh, not a kind of acceptance that succumbs to what's going on, but a kind of acceptance that allows us to see more clearly the nature of that experience. And so that's why it's hugely important in our practice. They call patience the supreme virtue in the teachings of the Buddha. And I heard a story actually from Steve uh, quite a few years ago that piqued my interest about this quality of patience. And that is that during the time of the Buddha, there were uh, a few monastics, a few bhikkhus that uh, became fully enlightened, so became his kind of um, group of those who, who helped spread the Dhamma during that time. And so because these first monastics, these first bhikkhus, had already purified the mind of greed, hatred, and delusion, There wasn't much, uh, many rules that they had to, the Buddha had to bring forth. But still, because even these enlightened beings were dealing with people in the community, even people still in their families, the Buddha required all of these monks, all of these bhikkhus to practice patience. And this was the, the first rule. And after many more uh, came and sort of signed up to be monks in, in the monastic tradition there, um, and many more rules were added, actually over 200, I think there's 227, the Buddha still said uh, that patience, of all the rules, of all the virtues, patience is the highest virtue. So he regarded patience as a a very, very lofty uh, quality of mind, of heart. Whenever our own teacher, 
uh, all of us have had the teacher of Sayadaw Upandita. Sayadaw means teacher, a religious teacher, spiritual teacher, and Upandita, probably many of you have heard of him. He's a very skillful teacher. He is known for wanting his students to put forth a lot of energy, a lot of effort, and uh, not to be lazy or back down, often translated wrongly as uh, pushing or striving, but I've never seen that to be so in my work with him. It's more like putting forth energy. He would, he would see when I was striving or pushing, which is very different from putting forth my best energy. And whenever he would see that that striving or pushing was there, he would constantly remind me, patience is what forms the road to liberation. He would say sometimes these words in Pali, kanti paramam tapo titika, kanti paramam tapo titika. Patience is the supreme virtue. And so whenever all else fails, I don't know what to do anymore. I don't even remember to go back to the breath. I can't remember anything that anybody said to me. At least I remember patience is the supreme virtue. It's important to remind ourselves of this because it can have a tremendous influence over our lives, our daily and spiritual lives. And if we just look at the opposite of patience, which is impatience, we see how that has tremendous power over us sometimes. There's a doctor in Hawaii, a Chinese doctor, um, who said that our culture is suffering from time disease. And that's where many of our illnesses come from. Rushing, stress, stressful living, trying to get too much into uh, short periods or even the same amount of time, even if it's not short. We're just trying to put too much in to our lives. And um, about two years ago, when I was in retreat in Burma, I had a short list that became longer and longer as I went along in my retreat while I was there a couple of months. My to-do list, you know, oh, I'd remember um, this thing to do and that thing to do when I got home. And I had a kind of a rule that if I remembered it, a few times, more than one time, then I, I would just put it down. And after a while, I started to think, you know, I, I looked at the end of my list, and I looked back at the beginning, and I'd say, see, what was that all about? What was that number three all about? I don't even, that's not even important anymore. So instead of saying to do at the top, I put to do or not to do. And Actually, this has been a great saving grace for me because I've seen that just kind of waiting for a while just gets that, uh, not that we ignore or we're negligent, but a lot of times waiting, which is one of the ways that uh, patience manifests, just waiting, waiting with wisdom, we see that we don't have to do that anymore. We see that we don't have to stress ourselves out, that we can have a lot more space with what's going on in our lives. We're in a hurry so much of the time, and this does not allow us to be in the present moment. 
this impatience is the the major culprit that does not allow us to be present. Uh, Many times, I myself am guilty of thinking about what the next thing is to do when I'm not even finished with the present moment's chore. And there's a friend of mine, she's now 92. She always says to me, Kamala, if you're not in the now, you're in the ow. And... (laughs) And it does, it is painful when we're not in the present moment. If you check it out, it's very painful not to be in the present moment. You feel that your mind and your body are agitated. And as more and more I become aware of what's going on in the body and the mind and the heart, the more I'm, I'm prompted and uh, I'm encouraged and I'm inspired to be more patient because it's it's a lot of suffering to be impatient, to be rushing, to be not in the present moment, as many of us know already. So being in the now gives us a sense of relaxing in the present moment, which is one of the first things that we need to do in our meditation practice, to relax and not to have an agenda, a goal of something that's kind of bringing us out into the future, but to relax and rest so that we can actually enjoy, experience, know the present moment. So this is why patience is the supreme virtue. It is said in the Buddhist teachings that wisdom can arise easily from a virtuous heart. All of these ten virtuous qualities, including patience, make up this virtuous heart. And a few years ago, when I went to practice in Burma for the first time, uh, after practicing with Seda Upandita in other places in the world, this was the first time I went to Burma. And always, because I have children and a family and grandchildren, I never know if I'll make it back. And, and I never know if I'll make it back to any kind of practice. So I am trying the best I can. Like somebody I met recently who was born a Buddhist, I asked him about his practice. He said, I'm trying to be, uh, I'm trying to be a Buddhist. <laughs> I'm trying to be a Buddhist. And that's what I'm doing my best to be, to see if I can be in the present moment more and more, and not to have so much of an agenda about my practice, about my life. Um, Of course, we have to have some far-out goal about what we want to achieve. It said that the first step depends on the last. We have to have some kind of vision or some kind of inclination of our lives, of our hearts, But we can't have too much attachment to it. You know, the first step depends on the last. If we we know that far-off goal, what what aspiration we have, which may always be changing, we know what direction to take that step in. But it's also said that the last step depends on the first. So both are important, and we have to find our way. How do we find the middle path between the two when we're not having such 
a big agenda to get anywhere, striving and pushing, and when we're also being able to stay in the present moment, moment by moment. So when I went to practice with Seda Upandita this first time in Burma, and not knowing when I would ever be back again, if I would, um, he, as usual, reminded me to be very patient with my practice. There hasn't been a time that I remember when he hasn't mentioned patience to me in practicing with him. And he also said to me during that time, you must invest everything you have in the practice. You must invest everything you have in the practice. And I pondered quickly, I reflected quickly on what I thought he was meaning and what I thought he was meaning, and which has been verified as I've practiced with him subsequently, is that what I could invest in the practice, of course, were all of these paramis that were already developed and yet to be developed more and more as I go along on the path. The practice of generosity, the first of the paramis, is uh, we have the ability to do that because of patience. It takes a lot of patience to let go of anything. The practice of living with a clear conscience, living in harmony with those around us, sila, is the second of the paramis. It takes a lot of patience to live in harmony with those around us. Renunciation, nekama, which is the third of the paramis, the ability to, uh, to renounce sometimes, as you are, coming here on retreat to renounce what you have in your life, the comforts of being in your own bed, of having your family and friends around, of having your places that you go for comfort during the day, you know, for coffee and such. So we have to renounce all of that to come here. We have to renounce having it our way when we're here on retreat. And uh, as much as we can, we follow the schedule. It takes a lot of patience with ourselves and with others to do that. Other qualities, such as loving-kindness, equanimity, take patience also. So many qualities of the heart to invest in in our practice while we're here on retreat and in our lives all require this beautiful quality of patience. I wanted to review these because during the course of the week, we will be talking about them over and over again, helping you to recognize them as they arise. Not just the hindrances, which takes a lot of patience to also recognize, but all of these qualities as we go along during our uh, day here, during each sitting. And so I'd like to ask you to um, invite yourselves to notice the quality of patience every time you might want to go faster in line. And maybe you'll notice the quality of impatience first, but then notice how you might settle back and notice that quality of patience. Or when there's some rustling in the hall that's sometimes unavoidable, or because of this, the situation we have here with 
the construction going on. Noticing that quality of maybe aversion first, or maybe there is patience first. Maybe it doesn't come after aversion or after impatience, but noticing that quality of patience as you go along in your practice. So that, in a way, that can be what we look out for in the next 24 hours, so that we're actually practicing acknowledging, recognizing, acknowledging, and nourishing that quality. It's said that when we notice these qualities, these beautiful qualities of mind, we actually nourish them. When I was on a, um, one of my trips to Burma, where I did a course in, um, did a Pali course and a, a Buddhist psychology course there at one of the uh, monasteries, during the time that we were studying Buddhist psychology, there were, we were going over the kusala, the wholesome states of mind, and the akusala, unwholesome states of mind. So it was our homework during those days. It was probably about a week of the time that we were um, studying kusala, wholesome, akusala, unwholesome states of mind, where we would remind each other when a wholesome state of mind was noticed by another person in our group. But we were also reminding each other, because we gave each other permission, of the unwholesome states of mind that others uh, manifested. And so it was interesting for me to, to hear from others times when they reflected back to me a wholesome state of mind that I didn't pick up myself. Because I'm so used to looking for unwholesome states of mind. And that's why we all thought that this kind of a retreat is really important for our practice. Because much of the time, we're, we're sort of um, in the groove, in a groove of seeing what's wrong and not seeing what's right in our lives. And patience, metta, equanimity, generosity renunciation, a resolve, all of these qualities we have already. We actually manifest them, and they are qualities that are right in our lives. And so for me, it was wonderful to be able to get that reflection from others uh, when they would point out, oh, kusala, kusala, that's a wholesome state of mind. So cultivating the paramis is very serious dharma work, not to be taken lightly, very, very serious dharma work. Because of the cultivation in, uh, with these paramis where we bring a conscious intention to bring them forth in our lives and then a conscious attention to them, it creates fertile soil for the seeds of liberation to be planted in, to be nourished from, to sprout, to flower, and to bear fruit. I think Steve mentioned last night that in some Asian countries, like for example, uh, in the one that we're most familiar with in Burma, the practice template is to take a couple of months each year for intensive training, for those who can do it. A lot of families can't, of course, because they're very poor. 
But some families, a good number of families, can take time out for practice, um, especially when one gets older. And two months of the year is the time out for intensive practice, and then the rest of the year they're consciously uh, doing their practice of generosity, of loving-kindness, of all the other practices of patience. And it's really, really beautiful to see. At the home where Steve and I stay, um, the lady there, the woman of the house, it's like a a Burmese B&B, and she um, is a devotee of many of the great Sayadaws of Burma. And the ones... The one monastery that's nearby is the monastery of Sayadaw Upandita. And so every morning she gets up early and she makes food so that she brings it out to the curb and um, she allows us to go with her. And we wait for the monks to come around the corner from the monastery and we feed them every morning. And it's it's just a wonderful, wonderful way to watch the, these people practice the paramis in that way, um, very consciously doing that. This particular one, the one of generosity. And of course, there's a lot of renunciation that has to take place. Of course, there's a lot of patience. Sometimes, the last time I was there, Steve wasn't with me. The monks were late. And um, we had to go somewhere, but we were waiting for them to come around the corner. It didn't take too much patience, but still, you know, that quality was being developed. When a yogi comes to the Dharma, a yogi, a retreatant, a meditator comes to the Dharma, and their practice is right away um, deepening, or we can see some beautiful aspect of their practice right away, it's very apparent that the uh, paramis have been developed in some, to some degree, and a lot this parami of patience. So in retreat here, patience has a lot to do with being with the outer conditions. You know what, what we have to uh, live with here, the situation of construction here in the hall and Uh, accepting the food that is being offered to us. No doubt it's good, but, you know, sometimes Tofu Tuesdays get to me. Uh, (laughs) I don't know if we still have it here, but um, we still have to practice patience with the outer conditions, as, as well as, and probably even more so, the inner conditions, being with our moment-to-moment experience just as it is. This is a very, very huge, big part of our practice. Being patient with how things are unfolding in our own practice. Because oftentimes we're expecting something completely different. So patience has to do with accepting the flow of experience, moment to moment, which allows a very deep understanding to take place. So as you heard the question um, Steve asked various times, what do you understand about that experience that you just explained? What do you understand about aversion? What do you understand about 
attachment. And so with patience, we come to a deeper understanding because there's this allowance to be in that moment more completely, not rushing off to something else, not staying attached to something that happened in the past, but being able to deeply see what is going on in that moment, to deeply see the law of impermanence in each moment, to deeply see how things are empty of self in each moment, to deeply see how nothing can be hung on to. There's nothing that can give long-lasting, permanent satisfaction. So these are the things, this is sort of like one of the far goals of our practice, this kind of deep understanding. We're not looking for it. We're not striving to see any of that. However, patience enables the mind and all the other qualities, the beautiful qualities to come forth to recognize those very deep insights and understandings of life. To be present to do this is work. It takes a lot of patience, not a big amount of effort, but as Steve pointed out and will continue to point out, It takes this moment-to-moment kind of effort. That kind of patience is not weak. It it really just takes um, that quality of endurance. It's not a weak kind of energy. In the West, we sometimes think that patience is inactive. It's a weak force, not an active force. But patience is a very active force. It has to work moment to moment in order for it to be successful. It has to be able to uh, receive what's going on, to, to aid the reception of what's going on. This is from His Holiness the Dalai Lama. When it is said that one should be patient and withstand trouble, that doesn't mean that one should be defeated or overcome. The very purpose of engaging in the practice of patience is to become stronger in mind and in heart. And also you want to remain calm. In that atmosphere of calm, you learn wisdom. If you lose patience, if your mind flounders by emotions, then you've lost the power to see clearly. But if you are patient from a basis of altruism, then you don't have to lose strength of mind you even increase your strength. So patience has strong qualities. One of the strong qualities it has is the strength of a gentle flowing river. The strength of a gentle flowing river. A gentle flowing river doesn't dam up our energy or the forces that we need to uh, open in our practice. It moves. It continuously moves, as everything does, and gathers momentum. It is said that patience manifests as non-opposition, as you will notice in in a gentle flowing river. It doesn't oppose what's happening. It 
It takes the obstacles and somehow goes around and under or on top or through. Water has the ability to do that. And patience is like that. It's like water of um, a gentle flowing river. Takes the path of least resistance, but moves on gently, not with a lot of force. So with regard to the hindrances, um, taking the path of least resistance. The hindrances, again, are the aversion, attachment, sloth and torpor, restlessness, and doubt. I know there's quite a few new meditators here, so um, just wanted to review those so you'll maybe notice them more also in your practice with patience. So I wanted to talk about resistance because this is um, a form of uh, aversion and sometimes without patience uh, we, we don't see this resistance. A few years ago I was doing some walking meditation at home. We took a few weeks to do some practice at home. And there were certain things happening in my life, certain conditions with family and um, relations. And there was this very unfamiliar agitation that was coming up. I was trying to actually figure out what it was. It wasn't anger. Um, it wasn't like, um, you know, a grosser form like hatred. It wasn't uh, jealousy. It wasn't any of the other forms of, like, frustration. It was a very different experience of agitation. It, it felt like more in the aversion category than it did in the attachment category because certain memories would come up of something in the recent past and I would just feel, get bristled. And... Um, so as I was doing this walking meditation, I was trying to figure out, why is this? That was basically, that was asking the wrong question. But I was asking, why is this? You know, what's going on here? And I was trying to figure it out. So what happened during that time was I was a lot in my head trying to figure it out. And I had so much resistance to actually feeling that irritation, that whatever that mind-body experience, unfamiliar experience was. So I reframed the question, not, um, I didn't do it real consciously, I just thought, well, maybe there's another way to, uh, to experience this. So what is this? What is going on here? And so what was first to be seen was the resistance itself. The first to pay attention to, which we often don't pay attention to in our practice. A lot of times resistance is the barrier between experiencing what is uh, underneath that, that agitation in my case, what I uh, was experiencing, that unfamiliar terrain. And so it took a lot of just relaxing around, a lot of being able to be 
still a lot of patience to be able to face that first layer, which was resistance. And so oftentimes we think it's aversion or we don't like something that's going on, and it's underneath what's happening. So I just wanted to um, warn you of that so that this could be happening, which is often the case. It's quite common. We experience resistance a lot in our practice because it's we don't have enough patience, we don't have enough skill yet to be with what's agitating underneath it all. So just noticing with patience, ah, this is resistance itself. And not resisting that resistance, but being open to it with quite a bit of just being patient with it. When that layer of resistance fell away, which took time, another layer emerged, which was that unfamiliar terrain, could not recognize, never really put um, the finger on it before. And what it was was cynicism. It's not something that I've often experienced or been really clear about up to that point. Very, very different from anger or aversion or self-righteousness, a whole different flavor of uh, aversion that never had been experienced before. It was very hard to open up to that. It took a lot of patient, just patient, touching the experience, relaxing around it, trying to rest around it more than fight it. And so this was a, an interesting experience for me in reflection of how it took a lot of patience not to resist that. First I had to face resistance itself and then to not resist that unfamiliar terrain, opening to something new. And it became very interesting. The path of least resistance, which takes a lot of patience to be on, has to do with a lot of willingness to face it, to be able to go to places where we haven't experienced before, or maybe we have, but we just haven't acknowledged it. And so the willingness to be aware of whatever is aggravating or agitating us takes uh, a tremendous amount of this kanti or patience. When that is happening, whatever we're facing that's difficult to face, it's really important that we don't merge with that object, that we don't just drown in the object of agitation or cynicism or aversion or attachment or anger, and that there's this ability to simply be aware of it. That ability, of course, takes that all many, many qualities. If you notice that the quality of patience is there, let your attention incline towards that quality of patience. Sometimes we see that we do have a choice. Sometimes we don't, but sometimes we 
we see that we do have a choice where we don't have to let our energy drown in whatever the object is. And we can let the energy incline towards a beautiful quality of mind that's also present or nearby. So this is what we would like to keep reminding you of during this week, inclining the mind towards those beautiful qualities. There was a time... um, I tell this story a lot because I need this reminder a lot for myself. Once His Holiness, the Dalai Lama, was interviewed about his apparent lack of anger and his apparent lack of impatience and his obvious patience towards the situation in his country. And he said, um, the interviewer said, your land has been taken, your resources have been taken, and your people have been gravely hurt in some cases, in many cases. And His Holiness replied in a very intelligent way. He said, yes, they have taken all this. Why should I let them take my mind as well? And so this is what happens when we let impatience take over. It's when we let the mind be taken, our our intelligent awareness to be taken away from us. So impatience is like a thief. It takes away our inner resources. On the other hand, uh, patience is a great aid to us. Patience is a mentor to us, an inner mentor. Impatience topples us forward, like a, not like a gentle flowing river that's gathering momentum, but like a raging river that destroys everything in its, uh, its path. In our practice, we notice that there can be many times when we want to experience something or be in a certain way with our practice that is not yet ready to happen when we're striving, when we're wanting something in a certain way. We do that to ourselves, you know, when we want something in a certain way with our practice. And I remember once when I was um, with a partner long, long ago, and I wanted that particular person to be a certain way in his with his spiritual practice that he wasn't yet and obviously was not ready to be in that particular place in his practice or to practice with the same amount of commitment that I had at that time. And he said to me, um, which I always remember so I can apply it to myself, and others as well. He said, don't pull my petals open. They're not ready yet. That was really important for me to hear. That stunned me into um, a kind of reality that I hadn't seen before. 
It's important to know, of course, in relationship with others, but more important in relationship with ourselves because we oftentimes want to pull our petals open before they're ready to open. Patience is a willingness to go for long periods of time with petals not open the way we think they should be. To be able to still nourish our spiritual practice with uh, practicing the paramis, with practicing awareness. There were many years when I would hear the Dharma talks on Four Noble Truths or Dependent Origination or Selflessness, Anatta, and I would have no clue what are they talking about. But I would just keep hearing it and keep hearing it and I would begin to understand it because of experience, because of inner experience, not because someone else kept saying that same Dharma talk and I memorized. This is from Rilke. Be patient toward all that is unresolved in your heart and try to love the questions themselves. Do not seek the answers that cannot be given you because you could not be able to live them. And the point is to live everything. Live the questions now. Perhaps you will gradually, without noticing it, live along some distant day into the answer. And so this is what I found for myself and many others in practice, that our Dharma practice unfolds. It isn't about uh, being in a certain place at a certain particular time. It's a journey, and it takes a long time for that journey to happen, for that unfolding of understanding to happen. Early on, I was quite unrealistic about practice, and um, I thought that I could be more quiet inside, you know, more immediately. And when I sat, or more immediately during uh, the course of a retreat, and there was huge frustration going on. And I would go to my first teacher, Anagarika Munindra, and I'd say, I'm not a good yogi, I'm not making progress. And he would say, on account of your lack of patience, on account of your lack of patience, this is why your practice is the way it is, on account of your lack of patience. Um, Suzuki Roshi says, it is when your practice is rather greedy that you become discouraged with it. So whenever you're discouraged, whenever we're discouraged, there must be some attachment or some agenda around, some way that we can practice more patience with that hindrance that's coming up, practice more patience with ourselves and with the path, the journey in general. Later on in in my practice in a more refined place, there was a point of retreat Um, a long retreat where I felt that it was a a holding pattern for quite a long period of time. And again, I went to um, Munindra, 
Anagarika Munindra. And I just remember him leaning back in his chair in a very patient, restful way. And he said in a very relaxed way to me, when the fruit is ripe, it will fall from the tree. When the fruit is ripe, it will fall from the tree. I couldn't rush it. You know, it took a certain amount of sunshine, a certain amount of rain, a certain amount of pulling of the weeds and all of that. And so it takes this um, slowly, slowly, slowly and gently letting our hearts unfold. Flowers unfold slowly and gently, bit by bit, in the sunshine. And a heart, too, must never be pushed or driven, but unfold in its own perfect timing to reveal its true wonder and beauty. That's from a celestial seasonings tea box. (laughs) (laughs) One of the most important descriptions of patience that I've received uh, teachings uh, about is constancy. So it's more like just putting one foot in front of the other. And Suzuki Roshi talked about constancy a lot when he uh, talked about patience. In fact, he also he always talked about constancy uh, using that word instead of patience. Forget about the notion of progress, he said. It's more important to just be constant with our moment-to-moment experience. I'm adding that last line. Just to be continuous, to be constant with our moment-to-moment experience. That continuity, that constancy with our moment-to-moment experience develops a concentration. Very powerful, deep concentration. A concentration that's able to be with the ever-changing present moment. There's a, on the door of a refrigerator of one of our good friends, there's a sign that says, infinite patience brings immediate results. So there's also the quality of flexibility. Flexibility is also a strength. There's a gentle flowing movement of uh, of this patience, there's a constancy, there's flexibility. In our islands in in Hawaii, our Japanese elders say that if you um, if you watch a bamboo, very tall, 40, 50 foot uh, tall bamboo, during a great storm, the top of the bamboo will can uh, bend, and the top of it can touch the ground during times of difficulty or great winds and rain. But when that great wind and rain is over, that bamboo goes back up again and stands tall without breaking. And it is also said that because the roots of this kind of, um, of nature, this part of nature, the roots are so deep that if you go to a place where there's a bamboo grove, it's more possible during an earthquake that the land would not split apart because the roots are so, so strong. 
So this quality of flexibility and, and the depth, the rootedness that um, patience has is one of the manifestations that we feel in our lives with this particular parami. So flexibility and um, gentle flowing strength, constancy, and there's also balance. Patience allows the ability to open to the difficult places without resistance and to the beautiful places without attachment. It allows this uh, non-reactivity of the mind, which is equanimity. So patience is one of the uh, great aids of the other quality, parami, which is equanimity. It's a calm recognition of this is how things are. Just a very open, calm recognition of that. Patience allows that kind of wisdom to take place. A balanced spaciousness with a clear focus on what's happening. We know what we need when there is this kind of balance. Sometimes we need to... um, focus more in our lives, in our practice. We need to bring the energy together more. We need to put it more squarely on the present moment's uh, experience. There are times when we need to back up more and just give a wide berth to what's happening and just be more spacious around what's going on. So this is what that quality of balance through patience helps us to do. Therese, our daughter, now I have to remind her that I said her name because she collects from us every time I tell a story about her. Um, When she first learned how to drive, she took Steve and I to the um, shopping center near our home. And it was around Christmas time. And she knows both of us very well, and she's seen us both... um, in how we are around shopping. Um, Steve needs infinite patience with me uh, when I'm shopping. And I need infinite patience with him when he's with me hardly anymore. I've gotten wise about that. (laughs) Therese dropped us off, and she looked at Steve and said, Dad, you float. And she looked at me and said, Mom, you focus. And that was her advice to us at that time. That's a, a lot of times, that's the kind of balance that we need. I, I actually, my, usually my mind is just like that more. It's more spacious. And so it really serves me to be more focused. And Steve is very focused. And so... It serves him to be more patient. (laughs) He admits it himself, so I'm not telling secrets on him. (laughs) He's going to tell stories on me pretty soon. One thing that comes up here in retreat is what we call yogi mind. 
And this is when we need a lot of patience. So I want to give you the beautiful description that Steve came up with uh, for Yogi Mind. It is the magnification of the trivial and insignificant to a crisis stage. (laughs) So be careful, you know, when your note doesn't get answered right away or um, something's going on that you, you know, all of a sudden you've made into a great big dilemma. Just bring a lot of patience around it. So one last story about patience. This was in the Honolulu Advertiser in the sports section. A young boy traveled across Japan to a school of a famous martial artist. When he arrived at the dojo, he was given an audience by the teacher. And this young boy was quite striving, quite impatient about his path. And he asked the master, Uh, he said, I wish to be your student and become the finest karateka on the land. How long must I study? Ten years at least, the master answered. What if I study twice as hard as all your other students? Twenty years, replied the master. (laughs) Twenty years? What if I practice day and night with all my effort? Thirty years, was the master's reply. How is it that each time I say I will work harder, you tell me that it will take longer? The boy asked. The answer is clear. The master answered, When one eye is fixed upon your destination, there is only one eye left with which to find the way. So let's be careful about that as we do our practice during the week here and be as cognizant as we can, as acknowledging as we can, as nourishing as we can of the practice of patience. It's needed all along the way on our path. So let's sit for a moment. So this is from Ryokan. It's about being here on retreat. Without a lot of ambition left, I let my nature flow where it will. There are ten days of rice in my bag, and by the hearth, a bundle of firewood. Who prattles of illusion or nirvana? Listening to the night rain on the roof of my hut, I sit at ease, both legs stretched out.
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.